Here's what I want you to do. Turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's where we're going to spend um, some of our time this morning. Hold your finger in Romans chapter 8. That's the two passages that we're going to be looking at. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Romans chapter 8 is where we're going this morning. I started ministering in a church, and it was a small church, held probably 100 people. It had pews. Some of you guys grew up in churches like this, and you probably have a smell to this church, don't you? You can remember things that smelled. You can remember the red carpet. You remember that? Red pews. This first church that we started pastoring in Moxville, it was actually a little town called Harmony, North Carolina. Uh, They paid us so little. But instead of giving us a raise after about six months, what they said is, hey, we'll give you like 30 extra dollars a month. And I was like, well, that's cool. If you clean the church. That's what we did. So I can remember the smell. I can remember the corners and the cracks. My wife and I would clean the church for 30 extra bucks a week. And so I can remember a lot of things about these little churches. But there's one thing I want you to to remember this morning. Do you remember your church? Maybe you grew up, your grandparents took you to, or maybe you went to, and maybe you still go there. But at the very front of the church, right behind or right in front of where the preacher speaks, there's this table. You know that table I'm talking about? they They got candles on it, and they got like a cloth that goes over it, and it's like sacred. Like, you die if you touch that table. That's at least how it was up in Moxville. Not that God's presence would come down and kill you, but there's a lady in our church, she would kill you if you moved this thing. Not kidding. Like, you don't touch this table. And do you remember what was inscribed on the front of that table? A couple of you do. Go ahead and say it louder like you own it. It says, do this in remembrance of me. Now, we always talk about that during what time of the church when we take Holy Communion, when we have the bread and we have the cup and we say all the time, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus was actually talking to his disciples there on the last part of his life and he was saying, hey guys, this is the last supper. I'm gonna be going away and where I'm going, you can't come yet. But don't worry, my my father is going to send you a helper, the Holy Spirit. And he gave him a piece of bread, and he said, this represents my flesh. And he gave him some wine, and it said, this represents my blood. And he said to his disciples, every time you take of this cup and every time you take of this bread, do you remember what he said? He said, do this in remembrance of me. Because he wanted to burn the image, deep meaning of that event into their life. He said, I don't want you to forget this stuff. And here's what happens in church. We've heard the song, we've sang the song, we've read the scripture, we've heard the sermon, we've listened to the podcast, we've watched the preacher, we've got it all figured out. We know this stuff. You guys already know probably here at Hope City how we're going to close out this service. Because we've sat through, we've come, this is routine. You've heard these scriptures. You've heard what it says. You've heard me even preach on 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And so it's just become white noise. But what I'm saying here today is, listen, not only for myself do I need to hear this, but you need to hear this. And what we just got to see and witness is something that I do not want you to forget. We've seen baptismal services. We love to have a lot of people being baptized. We give you T-shirts so you can be remembered. You get, have people praying over you as you leave. We get all this stuff and we have this big hoopla. But the reality is this event should be a symbol of our everyday life. This should probably bring back some memories of your baptism as Jamie just said up here. 
You remember the day you were baptized? You remember when you went under the water and you came up? If you're a Christ follower in this room and you don't remember that, if you're a Christ follower in this room and you've never been through that experience, can I tell you something? I should know it, but I don't. But there's a guy in a suit coat right there that knows when the next baptismal service, I actually, I do know it. God just gave it to me. It's Mother's Day. That's when it is, isn't it, Andy? Yeah. That's from the Lord. <laughs> like he said, Scott, you need some help. Boom, here. It's Mother's Day. You didn't even know that, did you? I knew that you would go find it out. God said, nope, don't wait on him. Here you go. If you've never experienced this, Mother's Day is the next opportunity for you to be baptized. Because we got to do this in remembrance. Hey, when you guys wake up tomorrow morning and you go to class, some of you go to work, some of these little kids that we saw baptized today are going to go to school. Hey, guys, guess what they need to remember? They need to remember this moment. Because this moment marks something very impactful. Listen, every single person in this room, whether you know Jesus yet or not, whether you've been walking with Jesus for 50 years or one day, you need to understand what this symbolizes and what you and I need to remember. This symbolizes the fact that when you went under that water, you died. Whatever identified you, and that's where we're going this morning, Whatever you thought identifies you, whatever that is, it died when you went under that water. So here, all the rest of our time this morning, hey God, Holy Spirit, right now, would you bring to our mind who we think we are? And anything that has defined us that is not you, God, bring it to our minds because we're going to allow you, Jesus, to kill it. Because what happens is when you come up out of this water, that represents new life. It also represents new identity. It's alive in you. So that's where we're going this morning. I want you to take a look at this picture. They're going to be on both of these screens. And some of you who know, or if you play any golf whatsoever, you know what that is. That's what it looks like when I hit a golf ball, okay? If you have played any golf in your life, that is what impact looks like. Now, if you're not a golfer and you have never picked up a club, you've never watched any golf, don't worry about it. Let me explain. There's a lot of really smart people who know science, technology, aerodynamics. They know engineering. And today they have created the golf ball in such a way that when it is hit or impacted by a golf club, do you see what shape it takes on? Do you know what shape a golf ball is originally? Go ahead and somebody say it. When you, a sphere, we'll go around. The sphere's round in Wahlberg. We got sphere and round the same. When you hold a golf ball in your hand, you take it out of its packaging, it is round, perfectly round, perfectly designed, perfectly shaped. But what happens when you hit that thing with a golf club, is that golf ball round anymore? Not even close, is it? Do you know that some of our lives look just like that? Some of our lives look like that picture right now. God created you. His son Jesus died for you. You've known that at some point. He created you to be perfect. 
He created you to be whole. He created you to move through life with beautiful accuracy in your life. But what happens, much like this golf ball, what happens is at impact, it flattens one side. And if there were not people who were smart and technologically advanced and genius, there would be a lot of issues with that golf ball flying down the intended target path. Do you know what would happen to the golf ball if it remained at that state right there? Have you ever played golf with Jamie Page? I'm terrible, dude. I promise you. Jamie's a good golfer. Um, but if you've ever played bad golf, the golf ball never seems to go where you're looking. And if the golf ball remained in that state, it would never be able to fly accurately. If you've ever watched golf on TV, Tiger Woods or any of those guys, they hit it and it seems like it always goes where it's looking. You know why? It is because they practice hard and they're amazing. But if they hit a flat golf ball, they would never hit it on their target. These people have designed these things to go from flat at impact to as it's going through the air, it regains its shape. It's amazing. And the reason I show you this this morning is because I want that image to burn in y'all's mind. Because even as Christ followers, Christians in this room, there's a lot of us who at some point in our life, we met Jesus. And somebody like me probably said, you know what? The old is gone and the new has come. You're a new creation in Christ. But impact happens. Something's come up against your life. There may have been some resistance in your life. Listen, and I could write a whole book this thick on resistance. It may be resistance. It may be some event. It may be some season. It may be some person that has impacted your life in a less than positive way. And if you're being honest between you and God, don't look around, nobody else. But if you're being honest between you and God, you know what? In your mind right now, you know exactly what that means and feels like. I've met some resistance and I am just not as God intended me to be. And what I'm saying here today, before we leave out of this room this afternoon, God is wanting to restore your original, perfect, flawless shape. And he's done that through his son, Jesus Christ. I want us to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because this is what Paul says. God inspired Paul to write these words. A little backstory here. And you're going to read a lot more of this this week than just right here this morning. I guarantee you there's going to be many of you in this room. And you're going to read 2 Corinthians, probably the entire book. In the context that he's writing this, Paul is saying, in my heading, in my Bible... 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the heading says, our heavenly dwelling. Paul's down there in front of a group of people in Corinth, and he's saying, hey guys, listen, yeah, because of Jesus, there's going to be this one day. There's going to be this day where you're going to be in heaven. Everything's going to be perfect. And it's because of my son Jesus, or Paul's saying it's because of Jesus Christ, that you are going to have a place called heaven, and you're going to be with God forever. Jesus has made that opportunity for you. So that's what he's telling everybody here. And so we're going to pick up in verse 14. 
It's not gonna be on the screen, just in context, we're gonna pick up in 16, but here's verse 14 first. Paul says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He's talking about Jesus. Paul's saying everything here is pointing to Jesus. Verse 16, here he goes. So from now on, Paul's saying this in current day to people who are listening. He's saying, I know what culture is saying, and I know that we have a hope and a future and a glory in heaven, but that's not today. Paul is saying, there's some of you that have been impacted by culture. There are some of you that have been impacted by life. There are some of you that have been impacted by a season of your life. And there is something that is trying to take your original intent, your identity of who Christ made you to be. Something has come against you and you believe that that is identifying you. So can I get that picture back up on the screen for just one second? Whatever is making your life reflect that image, Holy Spirit, would you please bring it up to us right now? God, we trust you with our thoughts because God, whatever is coming against our identity, God, we're wanting you in Jesus' name to destroy it today. Not tomorrow, not the next church service, not in the next class, but God, we're asking you to destroy whatever is coming against our identity that you have given us in Jesus Christ. Kill it in Jesus' name right now. So Paul's saying, hey guys, listen, got a crowd of people here. He says, hey, so from now on, and this is what Paul goes, man, he's talking current. And I'm echoing Paul's words right now to every single person who knows exactly what has impacted their life. I need you to get intimate and personal with God right now. Don't try to hide it from him because he knows what you're thinking. Don't be ashamed of it. No, we're gonna talk about shame in here in just a second. Holy Spirit, give us an abundance of grace. We're gonna talk about grace in just a second. So whatever that is caused by, in Jesus' name, we're going to crush it. Because Paul says, so from now on, hey guys, listen, we're setting a new day. It's a new standard. I know what you may have brought into this place, but from now on, that is not going to be what identifies you. I don't care what he says about you. I don't care what she says about you. I don't care what they think about you. That is not the standard anymore. Amen? Paul says, from now on, from this day forward. Next Sunday, I, I, I'm excited. I'm going to be talking next Sunday about three things that are antagonists to your true identity in Christ. Three things that I'm going to be talking about next Sunday. And the first one is this. It's that you are what you do. The second one is that you are what you have. And the third one, personally for me, is one that has tried to kill me for 45 years now, is that you are what other people think you are, okay? That's where we're going next Sunday. But Paul says, from now on, from this day forward, guys, I'm echoing his words, from now on, you are only identified by Jesus. 
So if you've been saved for one day or a million days, you are identified by Jesus. And he says here, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. You know why he says that? Because I don't look at you from a worldly standpoint. I don't look at you from a worldly standpoint. If I look at you from a worldly standpoint, man, hey, listen, we can go all day long about our flaws and our pasts and our sins. But God is asking us to be a community of people here that we look at each other and we regard each other, not from a worldly standpoint. We get to look at each other as new creations. And so do this in remembrance of me, Christ followers. Every morning that we arise, we get to look at not only ourselves, but we get to look at other people as new creations. So if you're flawed and you have mistakes and you sinned yesterday, let's, let's do this. Everybody be honest. God already knows the intention of your heart, right? If you sinned in the past week or month, I want you to raise your hand. Don't you celebrate that but I want you to look around. We're all in this together. And if it wasn't for the cross of Jesus Christ and his blood, you and I would be paying a great death penalty for our sin. And you say, oh my goodness, you just made everybody raise their hand in sin. Here's the reality. Sin should drive us closer to our savior, not our sin. Did you guys hear that? When I sin, what you do is I got, I know I, I am broken and I know your son Jesus paid a great price for what I just did. Thank you. God for forgiving me. I think there's some of us that need to practice that in this place. We need to practice this. God, thank you so much for forgiving me of my sin. Our sin should drive us closer to our Savior. Our sin does not help us glory in grace. Paul says this. He says this. We're not looking at anybody from a worldly standpoint. Because you guys just raised your hand. You're like, ah, I sinned and I know that Jesus forgive me. Yes, but he also forgave the person beside of them, beside of you. So we don't get to look at them from a worldly perspective. Hey, God, help us to see ourselves as you see us. Hey, God, help us to see other people as you see them. And you know what will happen? It'll change the way that our teenagers date. Do you know that? I won't have to tell my teenage sons to respect women because if they ask God to help them see those girls as God sees them, it'll change the dating game. Hey, we don't get to look at anybody from a worldly perspective. He goes on and he says, though we once regarded Christ in that way, we do so no longer. And then here's the verse. And this is the one that can become white noise. We've heard it a thousand times. If you rip the sheetrock off of this building and off the walls, you would start to see this scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, plastered all over the scriptures. When we were building this building, it was probably one of the most famous verses that we wrote on the walls of this church. If we're not careful, it just becomes white noise. And instead of remembering what we saw here today, 
I saw somebody, I saw a friend of mine come over here when one of those little kids were baptized. They came out of the tub and that little kid walked down that aisle and one of my friends came from that side of the building and came all the way over here and put their arms all around this child. They're not gonna forget that. I have another friend that came up here and baptized one of his young men. There's not a chance they're gonna forget that. There's not a chance, guys, that we ever should remember or forget. We should never forget this. Because in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone, anyone is in Christ, he's a what? He's a new creation. The old has what? And the new is, come, it's here. Like, this is for every single one of us today. I don't care what you brought in here. I don't care what identity you brought in here. I don't care what sin you brought into this place. Today, because of Jesus and Jesus alone, not the church, not a sermon, not some songs, but because of the gospel message, every single one of you who came into this place with an identity other than one that is rooted in Jesus, you have an opportunity to leave this place today with a brand new life and a brand new identity that drives you throughout every day. Every day. I love this. It goes on. Flip over there to Romans 8. Romans 8. I hope there is somebody in this place right now and if there's a struggle, there's like a battle internal because you know what you've done. You know what you've said. You know where you've been. And you're like, oh my goodness, no. There's no way that I can actually have an identity that is like Christ Jesus. If there's a struggle going on right now, can I just tell you that God has you right where he wants you. I know that God's intention is so pure. His Holy Spirit is so powerful and the cross of Jesus Christ is so impactful that I will go ahead and say this. If there is an internal struggle going on with your identity, God is okay with that right now. He said, whoa, wait a minute, what? Yeah, because what he's getting ready to say to you next. It's not what Pastor Scott's getting ready to say to you. It's what his word is getting ready to say to you. And so go ahead and be free right now. Take a deep breath. If there's this internal struggle with an identity trying to fight against you, I know the word says this. I know what I've read it a hundred times, but I can't live it out. That is a beautiful battle. And God is saying, I got you right where I want you. There's a struggle. And I want you to hear what the truth says. Because the struggle and the battle is not going to be won in this place by you leaving this place thinking, no, I'm, I'm just a failure. I sinned and I'm just going to be a sinner. No. I'm just always going to be, and you fill in the blank. No, that's not the truth. There's some of us in this room that need to partner with the grace that is getting ready to be dropped on you next. The truth says this, for anybody struggling right now, the truth says, therefore, there is now, today, remember what Paul said? From now on, he says now, today, guys, not Monday, not Wednesday after a class, not after a lot of things take place and fall in line, but right now, 
And I need those of you who got baptized to never forget this. Hey, those young people, wouldn't it be amazing? And Matthew, you and I have talked and we've been through some things and we've had some real conversations. Matthew, wouldn't it be phenomenal if those little kids who got baptized here today don't have to get baptized again when they're your age and my age? Because what happened today sticks with them. And when the world and the enemy comes against them and says, hey, no, you're a this, or no, you're a that, or somebody else speaks that kind of darkness or death into your life, you just shut it down because you know the truth. That's what we're after here, right? That's what we're here for. And so there's some of us in here today who the battle is raging. Here's the truth. He says, therefore, there is now, today, no condemnation. And so if you're beating yourself up and you're saying things that are less than what God is saying about you right now, hey guys, stop. Be done. You have to start replacing what this world and the enemy is saying in your brain with what God has already said about you. And that's where we're going to end this thing in a second. There's some of you who are thinking, you know what, that feels good in this place and it's easy to do here, but I'll probably go by Wednesday and fail again. No, you won't. You're partnering with the wrong people. Not if you're partnering with God and partnering with people who love you like they love Jesus in themselves. If there's anybody addicted to anything in here, you're not going to be addicted when you leave this place anymore. It's not how God created you. If you have a negative self-image and you continually see yourself as ugly and out of shape and overweight, you're not going to see that anymore. You're going to look in that mirror and you're going to be like, oh, wait a minute, God just said that I was one of his children, so I'm pretty special. Some of you just need to partner with grace. Some of you need to allow yourself to just feel God's grace in your life. I experienced grace this week. I experienced grace on a flight from Atlanta all the way to Phoenix, Arizona. I, I met grace in the face. I was flying from Atlanta. And you know, you guys, some of us, and I'm like, let me just explain this. Atlanta's on the East Coast, right? On the right side of the map. And I'm getting ready to fly for like four and a half hours all the way to Phoenix, Arizona. But what happened is I flew from Raleigh to Atlanta, which took no time. And then I got on the plane, and I've never done this before, but it was a Southwest airline, and they said, hey, stay on the plane. Don't deboard. What? I was like, what? what? I almost felt like a prisoner on the plane. They said, you can't get off. Wait a minute. I mean, seriously, they wouldn't let you off. So what happened is I went up to the stewardess, and I said, well, what's the best seat on this flight? I want the best seat on this flight. And some of you are like, you would. Well, I, I did. I asked. I said, what is the best seat on this airplane for a four and a half hour flight? And seriously, this stewardess, she was very nice. She looked at me and Jamie was my flying companion. And she said, hey, guys, these two right here, this row, there was three seats. And it was an exit row. And it had a lot of space. I mean, I'm not kidding. That space was almost as big as this whole platform. And so what I did is I grabbed the window seat and Jamie sat on the aisle over there and there was a whole seat in between us. It was amazing. Seriously, this lady gave us the best seat in the house. And so what happens was after we had sat there for 45 minutes, other people started to get on the plane. And you know what you do if you've ever been in this situation and uh, you struggle with being selfish, you don't make eye contact with those people coming on the airplane. You don't look. You look the other way, right? 
four and a half hours. I'm not wanting anybody to sit beside me. I don't want to talk to anybody. And uh, so I looked out the window. Because as soon as you look at them, they're going to think, well, you're a sweet guy. I'm going to sit beside you. No. Jamie, you stay over there, and I'm going to stay here. We're going to have all this room to ourselves. Say, you're a pastor. I know, but you do the same thing, all right? We're even. So I'm sitting there, like, for 15 minutes. You know how long it takes people to board the plane. Boom, boom. Everybody's walking by. I'm like, man, God, you're awesome. And so what happens was, you know how when you, like, feel somebody coming up from behind you? You know that feeling? I felt that. But it was a guy coming up from behind us, walking up the aisle behind us, and he had a big old man purse with a dog hanging out of it. And I, I'm okay with dogs. I'm allergic to cats and dogs. So I started this itch, you know what I'm saying? And that guy had the nerve to say to me, because I looked at him, and as soon as you look at him, he's like, oh, this is a nice guy. I looked at him, and he said, do you mind if I sit here? And before I could say a word, because I was going to say no. I was just going to say no and be a meanie, right? Before I could say no, the stewardess who had told us about these seats, she said to the guy, Hey, sir, no one with an animal can sit in the emergency exit row, word for word. And I was like, God, you're so good. That was a miracle, a miracle from heaven. And I looked at this stewardess and I said, you just saved my life. What is your name? And she said, my name's Grace. And I said, amen. I said, thank you. Thank you, Lord. So four and a half hours, I did not have to sit. I think somebody did take the seat eventually, but they did not have a man purse and there was no dog in it. It was amazing. But hey, all seriousness, can you put the golf ball picture back up there, please? There are some of you in your life that impact has happened and you've taken the blame for it. You live with it too long. It is time for you to have some grace of God in your life. You've carried an identity that you are fill in the blank. And today, God is saying, hey, son, that's not who you are. You've been carrying this around with you for a long time, and I didn't give that to you. Some of you need to partner with God's grace this morning, and you need to lay down the identity and you need to pick back up God's identity for your life. Here's what God says through Paul. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14. He says, because those who are led by God, the Holy Spirit. Listen to these next words. You are sons of of God. Did you hear that? When you wake up tomorrow morning, you get to look in the mirror and you get to repeat to yourself the word of God, the truth of God through the Holy Spirit says that I am God's child. I believe there's some ladies in here that need to hear it this way. You look in the mirror tomorrow morning and you get to say, oh my goodness. I am God's daughter. And that's the identity that you get to walk around with tomorrow. 
not whatever you used to fill in the blank with. You are, as of today, carrying around with you an identity that is given to you from God. Look at what he says in the 16th verse. Just skip 15, go to the 16th. Look at what he says here. This is what is actually taking place in this very building this morning. Why do we come to church? Big, small, suits, hymns, pews, it doesn't matter. Why do we do this? So that we can read this kind of stuff right here together. And we together know that, oh yeah, we're all in this together, but guess what else is true? This. So if you're in here and you're still not convinced, hey, listen, I know it's after lunchtime, but listen, please listen to what God is saying. Listen to what he says here. He said, God, the Holy Spirit, capital S, if you're reading this in your Bible, the Holy Spirit of God himself testifies with your spirit, your lowercase s spirit that God gave you. Holy Spirit is capital S. Your spirit living inside of you is little s that every single one of you have right now. And what is happening is God, the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, you, I'm testifying that this is a fact. Paul writes and he says, the Holy Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Did you hear that? I think we have to repeat this out loud together. We are God's children. Nobody can take that from you. Nobody can tell you anything different. The mirror can lie to you. This world can lie to you. And I guarantee you the enemy is going to lie to you. We are God's children. That's how unique that you and I are. That God chose to breathe life into you, his son or his daughter. And so when everything is coming against you, when impact continues to happen over and over, lies hit you, people hit you, the enemy hits you, we've got to together, guys, and I'll be the first in line. I'll stand in first. I've got to be the first one and somebody else can come behind me. But I guarantee you, every one of us need to get in line. We've got to remind ourselves that we are God's children. Or his son and your daughter. And that's how God sees every single one of us. And so what we witnessed here today, we may not physically see it with our eyes tomorrow morning when we wake up. But God, I'm going to ask that you would burn the image in our brains of these faces of children, of students, of young men, young women, when they came up out of that water, that is new life. That's new identity. And that is who God created you to be.